Welcome to the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nedling. You are about to discover impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you, so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Be sure you visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now tune in, get ready, and enjoy the journey of emerging as a leader of exception in the 21st century. Welcome everyone to the Find Your Leadership Confidence podcast. I'm your host, Vicki Nettling, and coming to you from Roswell, Georgia. The goal of this podcast is to discuss topics and guests that will empower you to grow as a confident leader and take your business and your life to that next level. Today, my guest is Tom Caresti, and recently he launched his leadership book, C-Suite and Beyond, as you can see on the screen. The book captures 30 years of stories in C-Suites, probably some interesting stories I can imagine. Across the globe, he had it, he includes in that book the priority time management. The book is selling so well, and the demand for his appearances on podcasts is high. And over the past few months, he has been on podcasts in South Africa, Singapore, Philippines, United Kingdom, Australia, New Zealand, and the United States. Where next? Please join me in welcoming Tom Koreski. Hey, Vicky, Tom. Thank, how are you? Thank you so much for having me. And uh, uh, I'm on the other side of the United States. I'm in San Diego. You're in Georgia. So uh, we're on the, the, the two coasts. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, just before we got on, we were talking about the fact that, uh, you know, maybe four or five years ago, the norm was standing on a stage in front of 200, maybe 300 people, maybe a thousand people. And, yeah. and now I have the honor and the pleasure of, uh, of speaking to people all over the world, uh, just in a matter of a couple of years through technology, I can address audiences. Uh, I was just uh, asked to, uh, to have a workshop with uh, 60 managers in Dubai. So <sighs> You know, it's, uh, it's kind of fun that you get to reach uh, hearts and souls all over the world now. That's right. That's right. And you don't have to have jet lag. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. And it's funny, I, in my previous career, I spent a good bit of time in San Diego as uh, we were, the company I was with had bought uh, the mailboxes, et cetera, in, based in San Diego, and I was converting them to UPS store, so... Another touch point we had. So how do you enjoy your uh, your project in San Diego? It's worse yeah. places to do projects. Right? Uh, it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I would spend a week at a time. And so I had two weeks there, two weeks at home. And it was great. And the people in San Diego, I find really wonderful. So it was kind of wonderful. I did it for four years. Wow. Well, yeah. sorry I missed you. <laughs> So I always start with a, a icebreaker kind of question, just to get to know you a little bit better. What part of country do you call home? You said San Diego. What is your favorite parts of San Diego? 
Uh, well, let me answer the question a little bit differently. Um, people ask me that, and over the years, I said, wherever the key fits. You know, what, what part do you mm. consider home? Wherever the key fits, because as an expat, I, I moved every two or three years. Mm. Uh, so between 1991 and 2006, and even to today, um, about two to three years was the average stay in a country or in a city. So people say, you know, where, where do you consider home? I say, wherever the key fits. And um, that's kind of nice. You know, the, you get to meet a wonderful group of people all around the world. Yeah, yeah. So, so please, I'm sorry. No, that's awesome. I still want to know where your favorite place is in San Diego, though. Um, well, I'm a beach person, so <laughs> I, I actually live in a in a little uh, pueblo called Imperial Beach, which is almost on the border, on, on Mexican border, uh, um, right next to Coronado. And uh, I'm literally on the beach, so I walk out my back door and I'm on the beach, so works for me. Do you see those whales migrating? No, I don't <laughs> see a lot of whales. I do see dolphins. Yeah. Uh, we do see dolphins and... Uh, also, one of my favorite things is uh, watching pelicans and oh. pelicans, uh, you know, they come out of the sky and they come dive right <laughs> into the water, go go fishing. So yes. when uh, and, you know, so when a fish run and pelicans dive, that's kind of a, a really nice picturesque uh, kind of fun. And in fact, yeah. there's a story in my book about pelicans. So there you go. Yeah. Pelicans are very cool. Very cool. All right. Let's get into this. So our audience needs to know a, a little bit more about you. You told me you're expat. And so your bio gave us a little touch of all the places that you have connected with. But really, who is Tom Caresti? <laughs> well, the best way to answer that, and, and I'll answer this for myself, but I would, um, I would challenge your audience and everybody's listening today to ask themselves three quick, these three questions. Okay. And once they ask these three questions, answer these three questions. And um, that may be a good start for everybody, including myself. So the first question everybody should be able to answer is, who are you? You know, you ask it, who are you? And um, I define myself as a servant leader. And we can spend the next couple of minutes about what servant leadership means, but I'm a servant leader. And it doesn't matter if I'm a servant leader of my family, I'm a servant leader of my customers, I'm a servant leader of my work with my employees. Yeah. Uh, my mindset is uh, about servant, uh, servant leadership. So uh, the second question is uh, that everybody should be able to answer is, is what are you passionate about? Because right? after all, if you're not passionate about my God, why are you doing it? And what I'm passionate about is I'm passionate about making things better, whether it's uh, making a company better, uh, adding value to an individual, so making that person better, uh, making products better. Um, so, so it's about making things or people better. That's what I'm passionate about. That's why I get up every morning. And then the third question is, what are you good at? And I'm pretty good at mentoring and leading. I figured that out over the last 65 years that no matter what I'm doing, I'm always, always in a leadership role. And it's, you know, if there's a leadership vacuum, I just have a tendency to step in and and take over and, and lead that process. Um, and I'm pretty good at mentoring. I'm pretty good at taking younger guys, younger executives, younger women, including my kids who I have three daughters and, and uh, hopefully mentoring them. So uh, the beauty of that is, is um, I don't have to reinvent myself. Right? I can mentor my kids or I can mentor my employees. I can add value to my kids, my family, my customers, uh, and I can be a servant leader in uh, wherever I am in life. And, and if I, 
if, if any individual, including myself, if you have clarity on those three answers, I think you will lead a happy life. I agree. And, and really, as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, you really get out of it sometimes more than you give. When you see somebody change, transform, and, and reach their goals, it's so satisfying. And, and, you know, I think that's what we do, what we do. Yeah. But sometimes things don't go right. Sometimes things go sour, go south. No one likes to fail. But I found so many times that I learned so much more when I failed than if things went smooth as pie. <laughs> so why don't you share some stories of failure and how they impacted your life? So I tell people all the time, look, if you haven't failed, you haven't tried. Um, <laughs> the, the other thing is uh, with failure through adversity comes opportunity. So when we mm -hmm. fail, we think it's adversity. Uh, also, we over-exaggerate failure, right? Um, look, you know, you, you fail, it's okay. The world is not going to end. You're still going to yeah. get up tomorrow morning. Um, and in the expat world, uh, you have about three years of a window of an opportunity, right? So, so expats are designed not to be permanent positions. They're, they basically take you, they pluck you out of where you are, and they say, okay, here's a problem in the business world. Um, Tom, go fix it. So it's it's by design a temporary uh, situation where I was sent in many times to fix a company because the company mm -hmm. was losing money. It was some other issues with it. And you have about three three years to get that right. And one or two things happen. You know, uh, if you don't get it right, then you get fired <laughs> <laughs> because you didn't do your job, right? Um, yeah. or, or if you do get it right, then uh, then they want you to move on to something bigger and better. And look, there, there was, you know, one or two times where I didn't get it right. So um, the, the first time I, I was re relieved of my duties and, and as you know, we can spend the whole podcast of learning on, on why that happened and how that mm -hmm. happened and, and, and what I learned from it. Um, but, you know, my, I was devastated 12 years working for the same company, literally on a rocket ship every two or three years getting promoted, uh, really being recognized for, for accomplishments. And then, all of a sudden, after 12 years, it was like going through a divorce. You know, my, my whole identity was uh, wrapped up in that particular job. Um, you know, I, I put all my effort and emphasis into it. And, and because of that, I was as a rising star. And then all of a sudden, that came crashing down. And um, probably like for about two, three weeks, I was like, oh, my God, the world's going to end. <laughs> right. And then, um, then I realized that, look, I'm still the same person. Mm -hmm. And and I kind of did inventory. I said, okay, well, who am I, and and what am I good at, and and really putting a branding package together where it was the really first time that through that failure, I realized to say, okay, let me brand myself. L let me identify myself as, you know, what you what I'm good at, what I love doing, um, and then I reposition myself, and then from that point on, is really what I became uh, a, a turnaround startup specialist in emerging markets for for large fortune 100 companies um and the fact is if if i didn't get let go after 12 years um you know I, I mean i don't know where i would be but um i i don't think i would have if i just continued to rise in that uh, uh in, in the career track i don't think i ever thought about branding myself consciously maybe it was an unconscious branding where people saw me 
with certain skill sets and certain things that I did, but I never consciously put a brand of mine around myself and says, okay, this is how I want people to view me, right? Which it's a conscious effort of identifying who you are and what you want to do. And, and actually communicated that uh, as a, as you would have put any consumer brands package. And it's kind of funny because I, I worked for consumer you know, goods companies, which are leading marketing companies, but I never <laughs> thought about myself as a brand until that time. And, you know, now I view as my, and I encourage everybody, you know, take a look at yourself, do some search searching and, and look at some great brands out there, you know, whether it's Nike or Coca-Cola or, you know, Mercedes Benz, whatever that brand is that you aspire and say, well, what are they doing? How, you know, how are they projecting themselves and then brand yourself? Yeah, I think it's so important that every so often, no matter where you are in life, you just take time to say, does it fall into who I am, what I'm passionate about? You know, does it meet my core values, all those things? Is this job allowing me to be authentic? And, and I think a lot of people, especially women, as they're trying to rise in the ranks, try to fit in or try to um, go along the way of where they're being pushed. And it, it might not be answering those questions. Who am I? What am I passionate about? Does it, does it meet my goals of life? And very interesting. So it's only fair. We talked about failure, but let's bring up some positivity and let's talk about those successes that you have had. So, you know, I got, I got a couple of things right in life and I'm uh, still trying <laughs> and still uh, growing and learning uh, every day. And, and, and one of the things that I think I got right is this book. Uh, and uh, it kind of, it was born in, and I know your audience uh, are, there's a lot of public speakers in your audience. And, and, you know, one of the things they teach us in public speaking is, is what are your personal stories? Yeah. Right. Because with personal stories, you can resonate with the audience. You know, first of all, there's two things. One is it's very easy to forget what you're talking about when you're on stage in front of a thousand people. <laughs> if, if you're focusing on facts. Right. But if you if, if you focus on your personal stories, you're not going to forget your personal stories. They are your stories and they're there to illustrate the facts. So they 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 teach us. And uh, I, I started putting together this database of personal stories and and then I, I, I looked at this and I said, man, I got a lot of stories. I could write a book. <laughs> so are. then the next question was, okay, now if I write a book, uh, who would read it? I mean, why would they be interested in reading this? So I started reflecting these personal stories and I said, well, I see a pattern here. And, and the pattern was like, all right, when, when I was successful, you know, these things were working. And, and when I was failing, these things were missing. And that's how I came up with this uh, four keys to leadership success, because the fact is, when I was succeeding, all four keys were present. And when I was failing, one or more of those were missing. Um, and then I said, okay, is it me? Or is there maybe more to it? And I, I looked at a couple of companies who are successful, I looked at a couple of leaders who were successful, and I said, you know what, they actually shared those four keys as well. So that gave me the inspiration to write the book, uh, The Four Keys to Success. And, you know, when I'm successful, those four keys are present. Uh, when I'm not successful, then I'm not paying attention to one of those, one or more of those keys. And that's why I'm failing. Yeah, you have a system. So tell the audience, you talked about this in, in the intro, 
about being a servant leader. And that is one thing I'm very passionate about as well. What does it mean to you now as a servant leader? And, and maybe how did that evolve over time? Uh, I like the fact that you said it evolved over time because the fact is when I was young, uh, I was not a server leader. I was a, yeah. a self-centered uh, uh, egomaniac, right? <laughs> uh, because look, when, when you know when you're young, you have the drive, and mm-hmm. um, and and I was successful. I was successful at getting things done. I was recognized for that, and that's why I was getting promoted every two or three years. But um, if I was in a meeting, it was really more about not serving, but but uh, how do I get the other people, and how do I influence the other people? Mm-hmm to convince them that, that, I, that I'm, I'm right and we should do this. And it, and it wasn't about taking into consideration uh, their point of view. Uh, it was really all about me and how do I make my, myself successful and how do I influence others to get, jump on board? And that was really the mindset when I was in my early 20s and, and, and late 20s. And then over time and after, you know, realistically speaking, you know, life humbling me a couple of times, right? Mm-hmm. I said, okay, well, you know what? Um, it's, it's going to be much easier and it's going to be much better if it's not about me. So if I make it about me, um, I probably doesn't, it doesn't end well. If I'm, if I basically understand that it's something about much bigger than me and I'm just part of the process and I'm there to enable the process and I'm there to make something happen. Uh, and it's something much bigger and much better than me. Uh, then people will join, uh, people will support, people will come along for the ride. Um, and, and they'll understand what's in it for them because in the end, people are selfish. So there has to be something in it for everybody. Otherwise they won't jump on board. And, and once that light went on, I started understanding servant leadership and also having worked for a servant leader, which, you know, at that time, I don't think they, you know, it wasn't really a common word that it is now, but really recognizing, um, what servant leadership was about and, and seeing that modeled and said, Oh, okay, well that works pretty well. It's very effective. And me as being part of the team member makes me feel with it. You know, I'm, I'm ready to take the bullet. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and then once that light went on, I said, okay, well, this is a good model to follow. Absolutely. So we heard about what you've done and what you're currently doing. But what is next? You wrote this book. Is there another book coming? But what's next for Tom? Well, uh, next for Tom is to light a fire under my butt. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the first book was uh, was hard work, but I, what I, the way I structured the book, uh, it, it naturally lends itself to five other books. Uh, so, so, you know, basically the idea was to say, look, I write this book, it's the four keys to leadership success. And then there's actually a fifth chapter in there um, about, uh, I don't call it one of the keys, I call it quote unquote, the bonus key. Uh, but there's five books that I could write, one on each and a deep dive in one of each one of those topics. And the, the, I was very passionate about writing the book the first time. And it took about a year and a half in the making to write it, rewrite it, write it, rewrite it, send it out for some feedback, and then finally getting it to an editor and to a publisher. And that process was about, you know, close to two years, about a year and a half. So um, I, I need to light a fire under my butt to get the same uh inspiration and the same work daily work routine to get book two three and four and five out the window and um just you know maybe you know we talked about priority setting 
uh, before we got on the phone and, and just maybe rearranging my priorities to make sure I make time for that. Sounds to me like you could do a nice course on each of those. And then maybe I would love to. Maybe, maybe chapter five and we will evolve out of that course. Maybe. And you'll get more stories too. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. All right. So what advice would you give that 20 or 30 year old Tom that you wish you knew when you were then? Well, the, the advice I would have is uh, really what revolves around chapter one and chapter two about the book. I, I wish when I was 20 or 19, um, somebody would ask me a simple question like, Tom, what's the vision for your life? Yeah. You know, at, at 20 or, you know, 20 or 21, I would have said, what do you mean visual? <laughs> what the heck is that? And why do I need it? Right. Um, but I wish somebody would ask that. And, and that's something that I would ask, uh, you know, if you're just graduating college, if you're just, you know, getting into the workforce or maybe already in the workforce a number of years. So look, uh, Dave Martin said it best. He, I was in an audience one time and Dave Martin said, uh, do you have a cathedral vision? And I, I thought that was, that just kind of resonated with me because, um, Cathedrals in Europe, and that's the ones we think about, you know, cathedral vision is, you know, these were structures that were designed, but weren't going to be built in the next, you know, five or 10 years, maybe 100, 200 years out. So whoever thought about that cathedral, the layout and, and all the, you know, artifacts and everything inside, you know, they weren't going to be there to see it finish. Yeah. You know, they're going to be dead, long dead. So I think that's a great question is, do you have a cathedral vision in your life? I, I had one gentleman say, yeah, yeah, I got one. Uh, you know, I want to be a house owner in five years. I said, well, that's a great plan. I don't think that's exactly a vision, <laughs> but but that's a great plan. Um, so but the, the, the vision for my life I, uh, to share with your audience is uh, man of God, leader of men. Uh, and, and what that allows you to do is, is a simple vision statement allows you to run any question by it when you come to a major decision, I'm not talking about, you know, uh, I'm going to the supermarket and should I buy, you know, lactose free milk or regular milk, you know, that you're not going to run that against your vision statement. Right. But do I take this job? Right? Yeah. Do I take this job? Does it, it, it and, and I would always run that by me. And that's why I never worked for liquor companies and cigarette companies. Cause the fact is a lot of them approached me because um, they needed God knows they needed turning around. Uh, but I never took one of those jobs because I said, look, you know, maybe it fits the leadership role, but it's not going to fit the, you know, it's not going to honor God. I don't want to, you know, mm -hmm. have people hooked on cigarettes and die of lung cancer or, right. or et cetera. Yeah. Now, I enjoy a great glass of wine. I'm, I'm a wine fanatic. I love wine, but I just <laughs> couldn't have seen myself working for, you know, a liquor company. And, and, and anything that I do, I run across those, you know, that question. And, and if the acid test is, look, it's, it's it honors God and it's a leadership role, then I do it. Uh, if it's not a leadership role, I, I probably don't do it. And if it's, mm -hmm. you know, something contrary to my, uh, my faith and my, you know, foundation and values, then I don't do it. So um, that that's what a great vision statement is. Any other mm -hmm. thing that a vision statement is, is uh, if you look at all successful companies, they are very simple that people can buy into, whether it's uh, your employees, whether it's your customers uh, or consumers, suppliers people can buy into it um, and they understand it and they they can support it so anytime you hear a vision statement that says 
Uh, we want to increase sharehold value because we want to be global citizens and make Earth this a better place and, you know, and, and, and add back to the community or something. You go, what the heck does that mean? Yeah. Right? yeah. I, I, I can't get my hands around it. But, you know, if you if you look at two companies, right, they're both athletic companies. They're, they're very different, both successful. One is Puma, one is Nike. You know, Nike basically says we unleash human potential. And Puma says we're the fastest brand on earth. So guess what? If you're Puma, you know, who are the sponsorships that they signed? They signed Usain Bolt, who's the fastest man on earth. They signed Michael Schumacher, who's the you know, fastest Formula One driver in the world, because that's who they are. Mm -hmm. And people buy into it. Okay. If, if I'm going to buy a Puma, I'm going to be the fastest, whatever I'm doing. Uh, if I buy a Nike, uh, I may not be the fastest, but I'm going to be the best because I'm unleashing my own potential. Yeah. So, so two very different vision statements, uh, but they're both effective because they're simple because people yeah. can buy into it. Right. Yeah. As you were talking, I, I thought, you know, that comes up to the question about what would you want someone to read at, you know, as your legacy at, at your funeral, you know, what would your, what would your legacy be that you leave behind and, and that's always a great exercise to do for us entrepreneurs. You know, that helps you really define what your passion is and what your, your really cathedral is. What are you building today that will stand through the test of time? Well, um, the time has come for what I call the rapid fire. Uh-oh. And these should I, are should I put my bulletproof vest on? Or? Uh, no, no. <laughs> these are these are what little just either words or phrases. And you just answer whatever comes to the top of your mind in a, just a minute or so. Just give us an answer back. Okay. So the first one is hardest lesson ever learned. Um, the one I shared with you, you know, getting fired for the first yeah. time and understanding, you know, what my brand does and what I was all about. Yeah. It was a painful lesson. Yep. And that's one that imprints a little bit on your brain. Every time you try to do something new, you kind of remember that moment too. Yeah. So. Adaptability. Today's word is look, you know, pivot. Yeah. Uh, especially during COVID, uh, if if you didn't pivot and you didn't reinvent yourself, yeah. you were out of business. If yeah. I was still trying to stand on stage with, you know, addressing two, three, four hundred people for two years, that was impossible. But I was able to reach, you know, hearts and souls across the world by just adapting new technology. So so pivot. Yeah. So the next thing is that you talked about um, what are you good at and how long did it really take you to believe that you were really good at that? You know, we've, we come with a lot, you know, we, I'm good at this, I'm good at, but that inner self is sometimes questioning it. So how long did it take you to truly believe that you were as good as you are until i learned to listen to people mm -hmm. right you're never going to be you're going to have a, a warped and i had a warped sense of mm -hmm. of myself because i would dismiss people to say okay well look they they don't get me they're 
you know, they misunderstand me. They're not really understanding. But once you understand, once you once you can um, open your ears and listen to people, listen to feedback, um, and then actually do something out that feedback, that then you can begin to address to say, okay, what am I really crappy at? <laughs> You know, because we all suck at something. Yeah, <laughs> we do. And uh, so, so we're not all great. So just look, you know, be vulnerable, uh, listen to people, listen to people's feedback, and they'll tell you, hey, Tom, you really suck at this. You know, you should find somebody else to do it. And Tom, you're doing a great job at this and, and, and keep doing. Uh, and then, then you'll figure it out. Kind of makes me think about those times where you have, let's, let's take everybody to the corporate world, if you will. And you have those people that are always telling you, you're great, you're great, you're great, just because they think that's what you want to hear. But, you know, what, what about those people that do tell you, you don't look so hot today, or you're not, the world is not revolving around you. Uh, you know, how do you embrace that criticism and find and be able to turn around to make it a growth piece. Well, it, it's also, I think, you know, I learned throughout the years that um, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Mm. So, um, and especially in a corporate world, you know, one of my pet peeves was uh, we, we, get, we get into this formalized um, performance review. And, and, and it's like a boxing match right i mean you know you, you you build up this for a whole year so you come out with all kinds of evidence and you say all right well you know i know this guy is going to tell me what i'm not good at what i'm good at so i'm going to kind of fight it because depending on how this performance review goes i may get a 10 percent raise or i may not get a raise or i may get a bonus and i get it so it, it's like a it's like a tense boxing match right mm -hmm. um but what if you had a relationship with your team with the people that you know, you worked for or the people that worked for you. And, and it was at a performance review was an ongoing dialogue every day. And it was feedback every day. Mm -hmm. And and if then you wouldn't have this, you know, terrible, conflicting, you know, boxing match every time you had a performance review, it was just a natural flow. And, and when it came to the performance review, it was really not about performance review, but it's about setting objectives for next year. Yep. Right? What, what do you want to choose that, you know, what do you want to choose next year together? Um, and then, and, and that's productive, that's healthy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's really building that relationship with those people that work with you to be able to have that not be a stressful situation. If you do it every day, uh, you know, it's just another conversation you're having. And I love the idea of setting goals then for the next quarter, you know, yeah. next year. So best tip for staying focused. Um, I, I would say you're going to stay focused if, if you're focusing on those things that you're passionate about and you're doing think, working on things that you're good at, right? Mm -hmm. um, you're going to lose focus when it's no longer interesting for you. Yeah. Oh, good point. Good point. So if you're passionate about it, I'm guessing it's going to be interesting to you and, yeah. you, and you'll, you'll focus on it and, You'll drive and make sure that um, that that you follow through, uh, and and you should be good at it. Because if you're not good at it, then you probably are going to give up hope and say things aren't working. As much as I'm passionate about it, it it's not happening. So, I think we could have a whole podcast on just that topic, 
of you know, sure we could. when you give up and you should you give up and all that. I, you know, I gave you an extra one there, but I had one. I was just kind of curious. Do you have a favorite car? Do I have a favorite car? Um, like if you could have any car, do you have a favorite? <laughs> I I actually drive the car that I like. I I've uh, I'm a little quirky on that. Uh, I've been a Mercedes guy since 1980. I think I I bought my first Mercedes in 1980, and I've been a German guy all all my life. I, I steered once. I bought an Alfa Romeo, and never again another time. <laughs> never another time car. So. I was, uh, you know, Volkswagen Audis, and eventually I graduated to Mercedes, and and I love the the Mercedes E-Class style that they made between 2003 and 2009. Mm -hmm. Then they, you know, it was a beautiful style, both the inside and the outside, and then they kind of re-engineered, and everything is square and high-tech and stuff, and I don't like it too much. So I drive an E55 um, at 2005, and that thing goes like a back at bat out of heck, you know, zero to 60 in four and a half seconds, and it looks beautiful, so I'm I'm happy with that. I got I I'm I'm not aspiring for anything more. <laughs> you might like my husband. He has a 1989 380 SL, and he, it was actually shipped here um, from France. Oh. so all of the manuals and everything are in French. But yes, it, it's a pretty blue car. All right. Well, it has been wonderful getting to know you. You gave so many good tips today. I'm going to share my screen because I'm sure our audience is going to want to get to talk with you some more, get in touch with you and find out um, how to get that book. So we have a website that uh, they can see for you. And because we have some of the folks listening and not able to see the screen, if you can see the screen, please get out your camera and take a shot of this real quick. Again, if not, grab those pens and papers. And here we go. So the website is https colon forward slash forward slash www dot leadership disciples dot com. For those of you that can't spell or find it challenging, that's L E A D E R. S-H-I-P-D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E-S dot com. You can email him at tom at Kresti dot com. That's T-O-M at K-E-R-E-S-Z-T-I dot com. He's on YouTube and oh my goodness, we're just going to have him, you email him if you want his YouTube. You probably just search his name and you can find it. There's a bunch of letters. I, I was going to say, if I may just uh, add it, Vicki, it's, it's so simple because I have such a unique last name. If you actually search in any search engine, Google, Safari, whatever you want, you just put my last name in there, which is Karesti. K-E-R-E-S-Z-T-I. You'll find my sister who's an MD in Boston. So it's not her. You'll find, my, <laughs> you'll find my daughters who are not me. So you'll only find one time and then that will get you to Amazon, to the book or Barnes & Noble, wherever you want to buy it. You'll get to my website. Just look for my last name and there's only a handful of us. And I will acknowledge that that is absolutely true. I had no problem finding you whenever I was looking you up on the web. Would you talk about your free gift link? 
there and um, your free gift? Sure. If you don't want to buy the book or you're not inclined to buy the book or you just want to kind of dab your toes into the water, see what the book is about. Uh, it's a free download. It's not the entire book. It's like an executive summary. So I think it's about 40 or 50 pages that kind of gives you a good idea of sampling from the book about the four principles. So read that first. And if you like it, then uh, then you can get the book. And by the way, if you have any questions, if you're looking for help in leadership for, for your company, for your management team, uh, I'd love to just get on a 15 minute complimentary consultation with you over the phone. Maybe we have a match, maybe we don't, but we invest 15 minutes each each one of us uh, in a free consultation and see if I can help. And if you get his book and you read his book or the short version there, and you find that you would love to know more, maybe you could email him to get that course written. <laughs> or that those extra books to light that fire under him. Um, I always end with just showing everyone real quick uh, the copy of the book that I'm one of 21 authors. It's a book by Rochelle Lawson, and it is Unstoppable Being Fierce, Fearless and Unfuckwithable in Life and in Business. And you can get that on Amazon. Well, it has been so much fun. I enjoyed so much getting to know you, Tom. We have a lot of things in common and I enjoy somebody who's passionate about being a servant leader. So please, everyone, go to Tom's website, check it out, check out his book. We all can uh, benefit from knowing those four keys of success. And again, thank you so much for being my guest. Until next time, remember that life is a journey and it's up to you to enjoy the ride. This is Vicki Nethling from Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning into the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nethling, where we share impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Remember to visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast.